This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. Now, crank it up. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, we love talking about all the great rock and roll we grew up with on this show, and there's no doubt. But we also like to get a lot of feedback and emails regarding the Crank It Up new music spotlights that we do for bands almost every episode. Unless it's an interview episode, which oddly enough, someone commented this week that they liked the themed episodes much more than the interview episodes, which I guess... If you don't know the artist or like the artist that we're interviewing, that might be an issue. But the point is, we're trying to introduce everybody to a variety of things, so not just themed episodes, but we want to introduce you guys to maybe a new artist that you might enjoy, and such is the point with this uh, episode today. Daniel Rossall, a.k.a. Lion Ramirez, is part of the band Passion. Passion is a new band on Frontiers Record that just released their debut record in January of this year. Daniel uses a pseudonym, uh, Lion Ramirez, in part because he had this whole concept that along with the music of Passion would present like a visual. And so at the end of this podcast, I'm just going to slip in a tiny little one minute bit where I kind of asked Daniel about this and he explains it. It's not to the point of like a Steel Panther or Kiss with Makeup, nothing like that. He'll tell you in his little description of what he was envisioning in his mind when he created the pseudonym Lion Ramirez to go with his character for the band. So we'll get into all that, but how are you doing, man? How are you holding up there, buddy? Uh, I'm doing okay, but before we get into that, I got a feeling this is going to end up like the Mangus Magnus thing, because I think homie's name is Lion Ravirez, not Ramirez. Uh, Really? Isn't it with a V and not an M? I don't know. I didn't look that closely. I can't remember. <laughs> I think I called it right to him. Because <laughs> a lot of different things end up in this episode. Because, of course, you had to ask, does sequencing matter? And, of course, he had to say yes. He's a goddamn <laughs> producer. What he thinks doesn't matter on that. Exactly. I'm talking about the average fan. It matters to the old school listeners that listen to albums. If you're not a listener of an album and you've basically thrown away 
uh, the old days of listening to albums and you're strictly going to Spotify, for the most part, sequencing probably doesn't matter because all you're doing is listening to a lot of playlists. But to somebody who still tries to listen to a complete album from start to finish, it does very much matter. And a lot of our listeners are old school people that grew up on albums. Hell, even yourself. You grew up on albums, even if it was by way of, you know, MTV, which, uh, you know, MTV sort of started the playlist revolution in a lot of ways, you know, but yeah, I still think it matters, just not to the Spotify average listener. I still think it only matters to the prog guys. I agree with the first song, Kicking Your Ass. That I'm always in agreement with, but uh, the rest of the sequencing, whatever. And then my guess is you asked him about the calendar week, but he probably said Sunday through Saturday, so you clipped that out of the interview. <laughs> no, I didn't ask him about the calendar week. To be honest, I kind of forgot all about the calendar week because let's be let's be honest, the way life is today, do we really even care about a calendar? Shit, my wife and I got up uh, yesterday, I don't know, day before yesterday or something, and it was like Groundhog Day. It was like same as it ever was, same as it ever was, same as it ever was. We get up, we go for a walk, we come home, we work, we go to bed, we get up. It's like, cause you can't, there's nowhere for you to really go. Now, by the time these people listen to this interview, it'll be the end of April and who knows what's going to happen between now and then as, as we're recording this right now, we're just getting out of March and they just locked down the city that I was in. They just locked it down for the next two weeks, meaning that you're only supposed to go out for essential things. So go out for the uh, uh, food if you need to get food and go to um, get medical treatment or something like that. But other than that, they don't want you really leaving the house. Yeah, I saw on the news today helicopters because they closed off the parks here because there was people congregating last weekend. So there's helicopters like uh, circling the park saying, uh, please go home, otherwise you will be sighted. I mean, we could we could choose not to talk about any, any of this type of stuff, but for me, uh, I look at this as like a small sliver of history, and this is just a way of documenting it. I mean, hopefully five years from now, you'll go back and listen to this podcast episode, and it's a little diary entry of what was going on at the time of this thing's being recorded and released. And that's really interesting to me because I think like a lot of people, after this is all said and done, it's going to be like 9-11 in terms of life will never be the same. It's going to be some sort of new normal, whatever that looks like. Nobody has any idea. Yeah. And it connects to music in kind of a weird way. You've got folks you know, streaming, doing concerts, they're sitting in a room alone and they're sharing it with the world. I think that's great. You see things on the news where people are outside on their balcony in apartments singing a song together in places like Italy and Spain. I think that's great. I wish that more people would discover new music when they have time, but I got a feeling that in these type of times where there's uncertainty and you don't know what the new normal is going to be, that you actually probably revert back to what you're comfortable with instead of trying new stuff. And I hope you guys give Passion a chance because there's a lot of bands they're crossing over on in rock that if you like, 
uh, you will enjoy Passion's music. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this record for me right now as it stands is going to end up in my top 10 at the end of the year. And granted, it's still early in the year, but I really like this record and it has found its way uh, onto my phone and I end up playing it in the car a lot and playing it in the house a lot. So I've given this record a lot of plays since its release at the end of January. So I really dig it. And I think anybody that likes just straight ahead hard rock music is going to dig it. I mean, it's good vocals, great guitar, like no ballads on this record, which that's always a nice thing for me. I'm not a big ballad person, so that's always cool. And it's just 10 songs straight up that for me are right in the vein of, you know, an ACDC or uh, whatever, but I dig it for sure. And so hopefully uh, listeners of this show, judging the fact that you're listening to this show, you'll dig it as well. So go out there and support new hard rock and metal by supporting the band Passion, P-A-S-S-I-O-N. The album is self-titled and it has like a sort of a purplish cover with uh, the back of a guy's jacket. I guess it's a guy. It's kind of an cartoonish drawing so uh, i don't know but check it out (laughs) (laughs) you don't know this but p-a-s-s-i-o-n was a song from the early 90s by a band called rhythm syndicate it was like a um pop kind of r&b type song huh okay check it out it's interesting uh, because it just popped in my head when you said p-a-s-s-i-o-n Um, You know, this is the second interview now in a short span of time where the guy that we're interviewing is like a lost long friend because you hear about Tony Harnell in here, Steve Perry, Jeff Scott Soto, Yankee Rose, Steve Vai, Michael Bolton. Like this guy has a lot of the same likes and influences to what his ear listens to as I do. But I did solve the kiss mystery when you guys are talking about Victim of Desire. Did you guys finally find out what song that was? Yeah, so I share that with the listeners. So in the interview, you're going to hear Daniel and I discuss one of the songs on the record. Because we basically go track by track through this record. And one of the songs, Victim of Desire, he references that he was inspired by a Kiss song off of Crazy Nights, but he couldn't remember what it was. Later on, after we were done with the interview, he texted me and he said, hey, that song was this. Tell him what it was, Sonny, because you knew right off the bat. It took less than, remember, uh, well, you would remember because you're old. Uh, Remember that show, Name That Tune? It took me less than like a half a note. But the pre-chorus is dead on similar to the pre-chorus in When Your Walls Come Down. So that part where where in the second uh, pre, they say, I want to wait until I'm really sure. I want to love the last forevermore. I've got my pride. i got my dignity. Well, you'll swallow everything when you're with me, when your walls come down. Dun, dun, yeah. dun, right? Same yep. thing, same mannerism, same phrasing. And then Lion also talks about that subject matter was very hot in the shade, Because the subject matter is basically hide your heart. (laughs) Yeah, so there you go. I mean, one of the cool things I liked about this interview is he was very upfront with saying, these are my influence. I was listening to this at the time, and this is where this riff comes from, or this is where this melody comes from. 
he doesn't try to hide the fact that he was influenced by the kisses and the dock ends and the lynch mobs and Van Halen, anybody else. He, he talks about it openly, which I think is really cool because a lot of people he's right. I mean, he says, you know, a lot of artists will try to hide this, but everybody takes from somewhere. He's absolutely right about that. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's nice to be honest about it. it. It's a really good interview. I've never uh, knew about this guy. I've only heard the album maybe once or twice, so I need to give it more listens. But for the little bit that I heard, and especially in that one song, I remember going, wait a second, isn't that When Your Walls Come Down? It's kind of cool to hear that he does have those influences because it honestly makes me want to try it again even more than somebody kind of hiding it and taking shots at you know, whatever band you want to take shots at, whether it's, I mean, he mentions Danger Danger, ACDC, Kiss, like there's all these things he's mentioning. He could easily just taken shots at him and I wouldn't ever listen to his album again, probably. So it's kind of nice that he did that. Let's get back to why we're here, which is to play you guys this awesome interview I did with Daniel Rossell, aka Lion Riveres or Ramirez, I think Sonny's probably right because I'm an idiot with names, so we'll go with it. But you guys are going to enjoy this interview I do with passion. We will stay in touch with the listeners and get more episodes out to you. Got some great stuff coming. So in the meantime, go join the Growing Up Rocks Loud Minority Facebook page. All right? Sounds good. It's a great interview. Let's get to it. Hey, this is Lion from Passion, and you're listening to the Growing Up Rock Podcast with Stephen and Hollywood. Now crank it up loud, because we do what we want. Welcome to the Grown Up Rock Podcast, Daniel, a.k.a. Lion Riveras from the band Passion. What's going on, Lion? Everything's good. Everything's good. All right. So you're a multi-instrumentalist, a songwriter, a producer, an arranger, a singer. Where did the musical journey start for you? Right. Well, that's uh, a long, long time ago. I mean, I would say the most poignant part of my musical journey was probably... When I was um, starting high school, prior to high school, I grew up in not a musical family, but my parents were both really avid music fans. So on the one side, I had my dad listening to Motorhead, ACDC, The Clash, Bruce Springsteen, lots of other things. And then I had on my mum's side, she was listening to music like Pat Metheny, George Duke, a lot of that American jazz 
and from that point i was hooked on music and i really wanted to learn how to play an instrument first i wanted to learn how to play a saxophone but that wasn't possible because it was just, they were just too expensive so i ended up playing a harmonica because <laughs> they were cheap and i would try to on, on the harmonica i would listen to various songs that were being played in the car on car journeys and i would try to play the melodies the main phrase from the songs i was hearing through the harmonica sometimes it was successful sometimes it wasn't because obviously harmonicas are, they're all in different keys right anyway and after that when i was in the first year of high school one of my friends on the same street a couple of years older than me he had a guitar and he was also we had to get a school bus but on the school bus the bus driver was really cool because he let the older kids play the cassettes so tapes so I was exposed to the first stuff I heard that really got me into rock and sort of metal and the alternative world was Metallica Black, Pantera Cowboys from Hell, Nirvana Nevermind, and I think it was Megadeth Countdown to Extinction. So that, that was the stuff that I was hearing on this bus. And I thought, I've got to learn how to play a guitar. You know, that's the instrument that I feel that I want to learn. It sounds great. So, yeah, that's where it all began, really. I started learning guitar from that point via this friend that lived on the same street. And then I was lucky enough to be sent for private guitar lessons for a couple of years. And, yeah, it, it, all, it all started there as a teenager, which is probably the case for most musicians. Yeah, absolutely. And so I had read that you... You basically became a singer by accident that you were much more known as a guitar player early on as a musician, correct? Yeah, that's right. In one of the first bands that I was in, it was a trio. It, we were likened to Primus, like a, a bit a bit like Primus meets wow. Frank Zappa, which is completely the opposite end of the spectrum to obviously what I do now and passion. Mm-hmm. Um Nonetheless, it was a great learning experience for me as a musician. In the first band, I just wanted to concentrate on playing guitar, but we found it hard, always found it hard in the area to find good singers. And I think we were, we were so impatient and we really wanted to just get playing. I said, oh, screw it, I'll do it, I'll, I'll sing. Well, all the gigs we did, everyone would say, oh, the music is great. It's really out there and it's technical, but it's still musical and it's it's fantastic. However, you know, you need to get a singer. The singing's awful. And that absolutely, well, it didn't crush my confidence because I knew I couldn't sing and I knew I was just uh, stepping in. My voice in this band was like completely monotone and quite, it did get melodic in places, but it was more monotonal and it just really, it really was alien to me. The thing is, with that band, I was only 17, 16, 17. Right. And then I heard Van Halen in 1984, and I was getting into the David Lee Roth solo stuff at the time, and I really couldn't stand that sort of primus. I appreciated it, and I liked it, but I didn't want to play that music. And as soon as I was getting into Van Halen and David Lee Roth, I thought, I actually really relate to this because... There's a sense of humor in there, especially with the, you know, the David Lee Roth Yankee Rose video. Yeah. <laughs> and the guitar playing was really, you know, a cut above 
everything else that mm-hmm. was present at that time, which was new metal, which I also liked. But, you know, like computer games, once you've completed a level, mm-hmm. you want to go to the next. Well, that's kind of how I approached guitar playing. Once you've mastered one style, you were like, well, I need to go to the next level now. But anyway, back to singing. I took some lessons. I didn't get loads of lessons. I had about two months worth and got the basics down. I also bought some books, uh, one being from an American guy who I'm now friends with. Uh, he's the guy, he's Jaime Vendera, who's the vocal coach for James Labrie, Russell Allen, and some other big singers. So I read his book, practiced some of the stuff that was in there. But the biggest turning point for me becoming a singer was literally just listening to records like full albums, picking out songs that I felt I could sing and just trying to mimic and have a go at singing the songs that I liked, which obviously really developed my voice from there on. Yeah. I mean, I find that amazing for a couple of reasons. So one is to me, at least this has been my perception is if you're not born with some sort of singing ability, you can fine tune it. But to me, you're never going to be a good singer. Some you can either sing or you can't sing. I mean, you can fine tune things to where you get much better technically and you're able to hone certain things. But it sounds like maybe the first band you were in melody wise was not conducive to your voice. And even though people said, the singer is horrible in this band. It wasn't necessarily that you were horrible. It was that the melodies really didn't fit the type of voice that you had. Yeah, exactly. And I think also at that point, I was still, I was still sort of growing as a musician and artist. So like the difference between me now and me then is like obviously thousands upon thousands of hours of time spent both listening and practicing especially in terms of singing because i wasn't really at that point 16 17 i I was completely new to it and i didn't really understand phrasing either back then right yeah i mean i had read uh in a couple of places that uh tony harnell from tnt was a huge influence of yours as was steve perry jeff scott soto cj from firehouse etc And your voice is certainly along those lines. I mean, you've got great soaring notes and you've got a nice, just a nice tone to your voice uh, overall. But what were some of your influences on guitar? Because you're a hell of a guitar player as well. (laughs) Well, thanks. Thanks for uh, picking up on that. Because a lot of the time it's, oh, you're a great singer. And I think most people, because they see the illusion of passion, they don't realize that actually everything else is me. And obviously guitar, very important to me. So yeah, guitar-wise, it would have been, you know, firstly, starting out listening to simple stuff like Kurt Cobain's riffs, even some of his guitar solos, they were simple enough for a novice to learn how to play. So once you learn how to do that, you were looking for, something else another source of inspiration to push you to you know get to another level so obviously i was aware of dimebag daryl and how great he was but funnily enough it was my mum that said to me she said there's a guy uh there's a really good guitar player 
called Joe Satriani. There's a song called Cry, and I heard it a long, long time ago. You should you should listen to him. He's a really good guitar player. And obviously, coming from my mum and being a, around the age of adolescence, I was thinking, that's probably not going to be my thing. Anyway, <laughs> I checked it out, and uh, it took me – I liked it, but it, I didn't fully understand it because – I was very young, you know, I was about 12 at this point, 12 yeah. or 13, right. listening listening to uh, Joe Satriani surfing with the alien. And when it finally clicked, obviously I kept listening to it because I had to. But I think the, f- the first solo from Satriani that I heard that really made me think, God, this is a level above Nirvana and Metallica was uh, Ice Nine from surfing with the alien yeah so once i'd really got into that obviously i went out and bought tabliture books music books but i obviously discovered steve vai and it was mainly satriani and vai that started pushing me to try and play you know more furiously and obviously faster yeah but at the same time i was aware more so with steve vai his compositional prowess and majesty when i first heard passion and warfare again right. i was i was only 13 and more and obviously most kids at that time they're listening to really really simple stuff well they were doing so i was a total a total freak where i came from listening to music like that um at the, at the age of 13 so yeah, Vi Satriani, and then over the years, obviously everyone else from that sort of that era, that very guitar laden scene. But I, I shouldn't forget Marty Friedman of Megadeth. I think had a massive impact on me. The key Megadeth albums for me as a teenager were Rust in Peace and Euthanasia. Yeah, just really, really liked those albums. Yeah, it's a great record. I like euthanasia quite a bit. What a lot of the listeners probably don't know, I know we're turning folks on to the band Passion, but you also had a solo record called Feel, is it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that thing. So I listened to that today as I did my research, and I said, well, damn, this is an instrumental record in the same light as a Joe Satriani. So that's kind of interesting that you threw his name out there. But that's where I kind of, you know, other than the passion record, that's really all I had to go on for your background. Yeah. And so when I started digging and found, hey, this guy's got a solo record. Let me go listen to this. Uh, Sure enough, solo record, instrumental, and playing guitar. And I'm like, well, damn, this this guy's a hell of a guitar player, but I already know he can sing from the Passion record. So that's kind of interesting. So you dig, you dig. And I find out, well, you started at an early age, right? You got your feet wet playing the amateur circuit, some clubs, things like that. But then you end up and you get a break when you're asked to join this band night by night. That's right, yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, interestingly, there was another band. I should add this because it's quite important to the story. There was a band in the UK called Heaven's Basement, and uh, they were quite big. Originally, they were born from, you know, the darkness. Yes. Well, when the darkness struck big with their first album in the UK, the typical 
thing happened with you know the major labels they were looking for the next darkness so this band called hurricane party came out with a a really good song actually if you look it up online it's there somewhere on youtube it's called it's hurricane party road star and it's very aerosmith sounding aerosmith meets acdc but the guy had a really really good voice forward they then became for some reason they changed the name so they became heaven's basement and they were touring with bands like papa roach buck cherry um and all these big big american rock bands anyway the single left and i was you know prompted about it and was told you should go and audition for these they're looking for a singer so i thought well yeah why not i keep getting told now finally people keep telling me that i'm a great singer why not you know let's give it a go so anyway, I made quite an impression on these guys in the band. However, I didn't get the part. But from that, some recordings that I'd recorded of me singing their songs, a mutual friend discovered these recordings and then told Ben, who Ben Christo from the Sisters of Mercy, about me. So then he contacted me. And said, oh, I've heard these recordings of you singing the Heaven's Basement songs and we're looking for a singer. How do you feel about coming auditioning? So I said, yeah, why not? And then obviously from there, I ended up in Night by Night, which was a, you know, a really, really good band in its own genre division. Yeah, I checked out a couple of songs online. It's a little bit. More modern metal, I guess, is a is a good Very, name, uh, good yeah. name for it. Kind of um, along the lines, at least, of uh, like I don't know, a Nickelback or something like that. Something. I mean, it was heavy, and the song I heard, I only heard one or two songs. I thought uh, were decent, but uh, your time with them was fairly short lived, right? You weren't there for a long time. Not at all. Just under two years. I, I joined them in January. 2011 
and then I, I decided to leave in December 2012. So it was just under two years. The reason being was we, we just, I mean, the opportunities were starting to fashion themselves upon us. But the band, because there was five people, people were split on which direction to go. Anyway, the direction of which I wished to go and one of the others wasn't to be. And I couldn't really, I didn't really see any longevity in the route they had taken. Right. Obviously, as well, at that time, I wanted to pursue my music production goals. And obviously, bubbling away in the back of my mind subconsciously was obviously unknown to me then, but obviously was passion. I always wanted to make an album and create a band that was really inspired by all this amazing music that was made in the 80s, early 90s. So that was part of my reasoning too. I really liked Night by Night, but as you say, Night by Night is very modern metal. It even has like glimpses of... In some of the mutants, the thing is that album's quite mixed. Some of it sounds like the single "Time to Escape" was just a flat-out rock song, right. whereas the other songs, there's one called "The Moment." It's very, it's almost very emo sounding, which is just completely not my thing. So yeah, you know, I'm, I always wanted to do something in the realms of what I'm doing now. So that was part of the reason of moving on from that project. Right. And that doesn't really surprise me because Sisters of Mercy was a little bit of a, I mean, they were sort of alternative from what I remember. They weren't a, they weren't a typical metal band that I recall. No, not at all. It was, uh, they were part of the British new wave punk scene. Right. Um, and they were sort of around at the time of the cult, when the cult came out with love and, you know, joy division and, yeah. All the other, the cure and all that, they were all sort of similar, almost gothic. Yeah. Yeah. So that doesn't surprise me that that record is a little bit of a uh, mixed in terms of direction and things like that. So from there, you end up doing some demos and sending them to Frontiers and you get signed to Frontiers Records, correct? Yeah. 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 That's correct. Yeah. All right. So you record the passion record for Frontiers Records. How do you end up doing more writing for Frontiers and doing, uh, what is it, four songs, co-writing mm -hmm. four songs on the New Revolution Saints record, Rise? How did, how did that all come about? Yeah, um, it would have been last January. So January 2019, Serafino randomly asked me, would I be free for a phone call? So I said, yeah, spoke to him. And I felt at first he was probing me about my music production skills and whatnot. Anyway, I told him about me and my skills and that I've got a degree in music production and all that. And then he asked at the end of the phone call, how do you feel about writing some songs for the new Revolution Saints record? I said, yeah, yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> so that's how it came about, really. I think, I think what it was was he was really taken aback and impressed with the songwriting from the passion record mm -hmm. and probably felt that maybe the new revolution saints record would maybe benefit from having a little bit of a, a different input from a, a different type of songwriter 
you know, to what it's, I mean, it's been Al- Alessandro, who's great right. on every record, but per- I think perhaps they wanted a little bit of freshness injected into this third record. Yeah, and I think, you know, Alessandro DeVecchio, he's he's like the head writer there at Frontiers, right? He's taken part in a lot of different albums uh, <laughs> yeah. there at Frontiers. And listen, it's great stuff. The, I mean, he's done some records that I just absolutely love, even his own personal project that, um, uh, shoot, the name escapes me now, but I thought... Edge it, of Forever. Edge of Forever, really great record. But, you know, I just think it's smart on Serafino's side to bring in some new, as you put it, new blood, because the four tunes that you co-wrote on this uh, Revolution Saints records are primarily my favorite songs on the record. So when the heart, when the heartache is gone, win or lose rise, which is the title track. And then a song called higher, right? Yeah, that's right. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I see the Revolution Saints uh, record. It's it's more of a project. They've even said that. They haven't ever played live, I don't think. I think Doug and Dean would be up for playing. I just think, it's from what I know, it, it's Jack, yeah. Yeah, he can't pull himself away from Night Ranger. Put too many well, people so out big, of work. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Did you actually do any of the writing in the same room with any of those guys? Or was it one of those things where you're emailing ideas back and forth? The songs, those four songs, the win or lose song was Alessandro's arrangement. And I literally just, the only thing I really offered on that track was the chorus vocals. So the chorus vocal melodies arrangement. Uh, in terms of the others, they were all wrote in my home studio. Complete arrangements, you know, everything, drums, guitar, bass, vocals, lyrics, it was all done, ready to go. And then I sent them over to Alessandro and he tweaked them ever so slightly. But I did actually get to, I went to the Frontiers Festival last April, so almost a year ago, um, and I met Doug I met Dean and I was fortunate enough to hang out with Dean for a week and watch him track some of the songs. He was insane, really. Uh, He was he was telling me that he he doesn't practice and he was learning the songs on his flight to Italy just by listening. And obviously, you know, uh, drumming, kicking it, you know, kicking his foot to the kick drum and hi hat and whatnot. I mean, to be fair, a super drummer like Dean, with his experience and technical abilities, I think playing 4-4 four, four rock kind of comes natural anyway. But nonetheless, it was still really impressive to be amongst and witness and, and see him not only drum and how fast he was at laying down the drum tracks, but also sing. Yeah, see, you're you're kind of like the guitar version of Dean because De- Dean's a great drummer and an amazing singer. You're a great guitar player and a great singer, so you're kind of like the guitar version of Dean. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a nice compliment. <laughs> yeah, that's great work, and uh, I'm glad you're working in that capacity with the Frontiers people and not just putting out an album because as great as the Passion record is, I know Frontiers is great at giving giving you other opportunities and other avenues to do stuff. And I think that that's really, really cool and really good for you as well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think 
even when I was in the midst of creating this album, I knew that I immediately wanted to try and shop it to them just because it hits the absolute demographic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt, it's uh, right up our alley for sure. So let's get into this record because I have to tell you, I've listened to it several times. I've done a good job of spending a lot of time with this record, which is, as we talked about before we started recording, it's hard to spend a lot of time with albums these days when you got 30 of them coming at you every week. Crazy. Uh, So you have to kind of pick and choose and uh, you try to give ample time to each record because for me, I don't necessarily hear a record once and love it. It doesn't work that well for me. I have to spend some time with it. And then if you have the opportunity to see it live that, you know, that I think speeds the process of your love for that record. At least that's how it was for me growing up. Same. So I wanted to go through the recording and the songs themselves and uh, just get maybe a little bit of information from you on each song. If there's a story with it, great. Uh, I'll tell you my perspective on the song and, uh, and we can go through there. Are you good with that? I'm good with that. All right. So the record kicks off with Intensity. Intensity for me has that sort of docking kiss of death feel where it just, I mean, it just hits you in the face straight off uh, the bat. Uh, it even has a little bit of a priest feel to it. But what's the story with intensity? I literally came up with the intro riff, you know, the, the one that sounds like kiss of death. And I thought, well, I, I can easily build a song around this and why not? It's a great riff. Yep. It acknowledges docking. At the same time, I was also thinking... With the arrangement, obviously, I'm really into Racer X, Paul Gilbert. I mean, for me, it's almost like the way I heard this song, it was like Doc and Kiss of Death. What's the White Snake one from 1987? Bad Boys, I think. Uh, yeah, that's right. Bad Boys. So there's a little bit of that. Yeah. And then obviously. Well, you pointed out the priest thing, the Judas Priest. That's probably come from Racer X, even though I'm a massive Judas Priest fan. But the I think the pre-chorus in the song, at the same time, that pre-chorus is a little bit Kiss as well. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I wrote the song, and a friend of mine, I was showing him some of the music, and he says, oh, you've got to call that intensity. And I thought, yes, he's right. He's right. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take that title and work with it. So lyrically, you know, obviously it's very tongue in cheek. I wanted it to be I understand that British humour and American humour are slightly different, but I'm obviously I'm really into American culture, American music and American humour. But yeah, intensity, the the lyrics are meant to be quite in your face and ridiculous. And I just try to be very with each song, I, I try to be every, sorry, very over the top lyrically because that's exactly what the eighties was. I mean, I would say that I would say the lyrics for Intensity yeah. probably were more inspired by Kiss, something off the Crazy Nights album. Perfect. But let's talk about that a little bit before we go too far into it, because you and I talked a little bit before we started recording and. You said that with this record, it's a little bit over the top in relation to the 80s and stuff like that. But 
passion is not a parody act when it comes to like, you're not a steel panther, right? It's not meant to be comedic, but dramatic is the, I think dramatic is what I intend for it to be. But that sort of really intense drama that's, that tickles you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you can't take it too seriously. I mean, if you listen to any of the Kiss records from the 80s, uh, and Kiss is, is a perfect example, if you listen to any of those records, Kiss was never a parody act, but it had a concept and that music was very tongue-in-cheek. Anybody that writes a line like, put your log in your fireplace, come on. <laughs> incredible (laughs) but you know there was something about it so i totally get what you're saying but i want to i want to let the listeners know that this isn't meant to be a steel panther or anything like that it is a straight ahead rock record with somewhat of a tongue-in-cheek thing and probably you bought them up earlier and they're really good at tongue-in-cheek but i don't even think you're that far tongue-in-cheek which is the darkness right yeah because they're definitely tongue-in-cheek and definitely fun but yeah i don't even get that feel from this record at all no i and i think that's because obviously no pun intended but i'm very passionate about guitar playing very passionate about rock music and i've always been uh fascinated by really powerful amazing singers and i just wanted to make my own little version of all those things that i'm you know hugely fond of and you know the the things that really excite me in music right i mean come on if frontiers isn't using the uh, tagline are you passionate about your hard rock and metal then get the new record from passion come on (laughs) that's a marketer's dream Yes, (laughs) definitely is. (laughs) All right, so then we move on to what I guess is the first single, which is Trespass on Love. Trespass on Love, to me, very Journey feel. I mean, this definitely shows that you were influenced by Steve Perry, not so much in the way, to me, not so much in the way that Steve sings more along the lines of the melody line and the pre-course in this song, Trespass on Love, I thought felt like something maybe a journey would do, maybe even a little bit of like danger, danger in the pre-course as well. Yeah. I love this song. Yeah, it's it's a a great song. Um, It was a tough one because obviously there's 10 songs and obviously for me, I'm biased because I've wrote the songs and spent a lot of time creating them. I thought, is this the best song to kick off this album? Yeah, so I, I was in two minds when the record label was saying, let's do Trespass on Love for the first single because I'd say it's probably the only song that isn't consistent in the sound, the overall sound of the rest of the record. Agreed. That said, as you rightly point out, it is a really good song with with hooks. I've got to add that that was a it was a co-write with Ben Christo from Night by Night and Weston James, who is the bass player in Passion. They came up with a chorus and a verse idea. The original idea is very vague in comparison to the actual, you know, recorded song. However, it kick-started, you know, the wheels in motion in terms of getting me to produce it, build an arrangement around it, and completely just dress it up, amp it up as 
as ridiculous as possible. Obviously, the outro is um, quite a climax vocally. And like you say, all those singers like Steve Perry, even Michael Bolton, was a little bit inspired by Michael Bolton on Trespass on Love. Hey, fool's game. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Everybody's crazy. Yep. Soul provider. A lot of Michael Bolton, yeah, had a big influence on that particular track. But I think, obviously, with sounding a little bit like Ted Poley and the guitar playing is a little bit Andy Timmons in that particular song, obviously, we were getting likened to Danger. If you look at the comments, it's on YouTube, it's like, this is Danger, Danger, Ted Poley's back and, you know, all that kind of thing. Only on the pre-course to me, like the pre-course is what reminds me of that. I think it's the... Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the pre-course. Maybe it's the bridge. I don't know. There's a part in there that I'm like, okay, I totally can hear this on a Danger Danger record. Not that it sounded exactly like one of their songs, but the feel of it. Yeah, but the funny thing is that I'm constantly likened to Ted Pauly, but that particular song is probably more inspired by, as you say, Steve Perry, Michael Bolton. I think at the time... When I was producing that song and recording it and arranging it, I was listening to You Wouldn't Know Love by Michael Bolton. I mean, the verses are very similar. Yeah. All right. So that brings us to Too Bad for Baby. What can you tell us about Too Bad for Baby? Because for me, it's one of my favorite songs on this record. Mine too. I think that was the the second one that I completed in the writing process and recorded it was a riff that i'd wrote a long long time ago and i sort of resurrected it and wanted to try and make it somewhere between kiss and acdc with maybe even a little bit of uh lynch mob robert mason in the
I'm one of these artists, songwriters. I, I don't shy away from who I'm influenced by and where I've taken the exact influence from to create a song. I find that a lot of artists, they won't explain where they've got the actual idea from. Yeah. They kind of like to make it out that they've created it, they're the sole creator and they're the genius. When everyone knows, <laughs> artists steal from everyone. Yeah. So I like to point out, because I think people find it interesting where these songs were were basically inspired, because every song is inspired by another song. But then, obviously, I try to turn it around and make it into my own thing. Obviously, it's not plagiarism. No, I 100% get what you're saying, because I've actually heard a couple musicians that will go into explanation, say, well, this song is just this riff backwards, and a perfect example of this is if you listen to, uh, you know, that song by Poison, uh, Unskinny Bop? Yes. Yeah. So that beginning riff, that, that's actually that Leonard Skinner song. I think they call me The Breeze is what it is. Right. Yeah. If yeah, you listen to it, you can hear that riff. So I totally get what you're saying. I'm okay with that. And if I was a musician myself, most likely that would be the type of musician I am because I'm too influenced by whatever it is I love. So if I'm loving the new Lynch Mob record, for example, I, if I wanted to write a record that was in the vein of what I listened to, it would sound like, you know, something from Lynch Mob or Van Halen or something like that, because that's what I love to listen to. Yeah, of course. I think when, you, when you're working in a specific genre, you've got to absorb the content of that genre to then be able to create new versions of it. But yeah, the song itself, Too Bad For Baby, I think it those influences that I mentioned, but there's parts of it where I wasn't consciously thinking it at the time, but as I was trying to sing the parts and after I'd laid them down, I thought, it's a little bit Paul Stanley, that. <laughs> okay. I haven't uh, heard that, but I will listen to that with new ears and probably hear it. I couldn't put this song with anything. Like when I was listening to this song, I was like, okay, I just, I love this song. And I, I don't know whether it's the chorus or, or what, but on each one of these songs, I wrote next to it what it felt like to me not that it sounded like but more like what it felt like to me and i didn't have anything written next to this song other than it was one of my favorites so cool. well, that's good <laughs> enough for me <laughs> so lost in the dark to me this song in with the rest of the record has a little bit tiny more of a modern feel to it yeah it might be that intro, I'm not sure, but but the melody feels a little darkened to me. Definitely. Actually, funnily enough, I was playing the, um, what came first? It was the guitar. It was the guitar parts that came first. And if you listen to, when it kicks in, in the verses, the guitar, I was taken by, ain't talking about love, the picking pattern. Yeah. So I kind of, manipulated that a little bit in the guitar playing during the verses but yeah verse wise very docking even the pre-cut all of it's very docking it, it could have been you know on back for the attack or maybe under lock and key under lock and key i could definitely hear this song yeah but i would say it's probably lyrically content wise it's probably a little bit more 
serious and more honest than some of the other songs on there. Because a lot of the other songs uh, are sort of built on my past behaviours. But at the same time, I'm also fantasising as well with some of the other songs. Whereas Lost in the Dark, I was working in a job that I really began to hate. Yeah. And I actually started feeling... There was a lot of factors, really. I, I used to do a lot of exercise. I used to play a lot of soccer. And then I, I had a, um, I, I, got, I ended up with patella tendonitis in my right knee, and I couldn't really do anything for a long time. It's gone away now, thank God. But at the time, I was really very, very depressed. I felt suicidal. I think wow. everyone can feel like that sometimes. But, yeah, I felt really in a low place, very confused, because I was writing all this great music, and I was thinking – you know, what time am I living in right. where people are constantly telling me how great the music is, how great I am, but you can't seem to, you know, get to the next stage. So that used to really get to me. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the clues in the title, it's it's basically about depression and being sort of lost in a in a dark fog in a maze and, you know, reflecting on times that, Back to younger days where you almost you almost felt invincible and like anything was attainable. You exuberated confidence. Right. But now all of a sudden you're in this dark place. Life's not turned out how maybe you thought it would and you're dealing with that. And that's kind of what the the song, you know, touches upon lyrically. So right. it's it's definitely one of the more serious sounding songs right. on that record. Yeah. How about back? Yeah, I mean, I love the sequence how you go from Lost in the Dark to back. To me, when I listen to it, it's immediately uplifting, which I really like that. Let me ask you this. As a producer, and I should mention, you played almost everything on this record, right? Yeah. Okay, and you produced it. As a producer, do you think that sequencing, the order that the songs come in, is very important? Yeah, I do. I really do. I think it's part of the dramatic element. I mean, I think for me personally, I feel that it's somewhat lost now because everyone streams, everyone uses playlists. Right. But I feel there's a real art of an album from start to finish. It should be dramatic. It's To me, it's theatre making music, especially this type of music. And I do really consider how each song follows on from the other. So, yeah, I, I do think it's important. Yeah, I feel the same way. I think uh, I've always said that the first song on the record is so utterly important to me because it sets the tone for the rest of the record, at least in my ears, anyhow. But Yeah, of course. All right, so sorry, I, I just had to throw that in there. Back to the song Back. Back. Again, it was... Uh all started with that guitar pattern when i came up with the riff i was thinking in my head oh it sounds a little bit like extreme but then as i went to re complete the song build the song produce it you can't really place one band in that song because it sounds like so many yeah. so many you know it's acdc it's aerosmith it's it's a little bit extreme it's a little bit damn yankees it's it's all these different you know just blues rock yeah, I mean, that song is very bombastic, groove-laden, mm-hmm. which I, th- I think is 
you know, greatly important to have really grooving music that, you know, people are sort of irresistible to tapping the feet or banging their head or dancing along, that kind of thing. Right. Victims of Desire. What can you tell us about that one? It's pretty much um, Kiss. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Any any song in particular? (laughs) Trying to think, really. I mean, I can't, I don't, I don't know if it's, I don't, I think song-wise, I mean, the verse, guitar playing, it almost reminds me of Ronnie Latecro from TNT. Obviously, I'm really into them. Yeah. But obviously, the the pre-chorus, that sort of chanty vocal, what, there's a song on Crazy Nights. I, can't, I don't think it's Gene Simmons that's singing, but anyway, when it when it goes to the backing vocals, there's this there's this sort of chanty backing vocals, and that's where that pre-chorus came from but the song itself you know again just a sort of fantasy perhaps borrowed from something off hot in the shade maybe yeah in terms of uh the dialogue in the lyrics i i guess if you're gonna be influenced by kiss for a record like passion then you probably have to be more influenced by the 80s kiss as opposed to the uh makeup era kiss definitely yeah and i think as well obviously that 80s era of kiss paul stanley's vocals were just an absolute force to be reckoned with oh yeah for sure unreal yeah that brings us to we do what we want and yeah we do what we want it may surprise you to know this but this is the most streamed song off this record I believe so. But it's not even close. Like this song is double any other song on this record in terms of stream. For me, it has a real big ACDC feel to the song. What is the story with this song? Yeah, touching upon the the highest streams situation, the song is playlisted in an official Spotify playlist. So it's in the Spotify hard rock playlist. So I think that's why yep. it's got so many streams. Makes sense. But yeah, the song, I came up with the opening chord sequence, which is the chorus. That was the first thing I came up with for that song. And it just, it sort of wrote itself. It was It was very easy to... I think when you're not thinking about anything and you just play and you enjoy playing, and I think the, the more experienced you are as a an artist, a songwriter, you can literally just write songs, not entire songs, obviously, but you can write sections, should I say, for an instrument within seconds, minutes, and that's literally what that song was.
when I was recording it, yes, definitely. I wanted it to be very ACDC, but at the same time, putting my touch, my own touch on it. I actually really, the thing that I like most in that song is I really like the breakdown before the guitar solo. It gets a little bit, the riff that I play reminds me of a little bit Nuno Betancourt. But the outro of the song, where I start screaming, I was actually listening to Slaughter, Back to Reality. There's a song called Dangerous on that album. Yep. I think I was really listening to that album lots, and especially that Dangerous song. At the time of writing, we do what we want. So I think there's a little bit of a connection there too. Yeah, I totally hear that. In fact, that's the only place that I hear that. But uh, yeah, yeah. So we talked about we do what we want being the number one streamed song on this record. And you said that's in part because it's on a Spotify official playlist. Number two is Trespass of Love. Number three is Too Bad for Baby. And then the last one is Back in terms of the most streams off this record. So that's just a a little piece of math for you while we're uh, talking about this record. (laughs) Statistics. Statistics. My co-host, he loves statistics. It's too bad he's not here. He could tell you what that uh, KISS record was uh, for uh, Victims of Desire. But let's go on to Built to Please, number eight track. What can you tell us about this one? That was the last song that I recorded for the album. Okay. Um, I like 10 songs for albums just seems to you know even things out do you write a bunch of material and then you know take those 10 songs or do you pretty much just write for the album i mean is there a bunch of excess stuff with this first one i was literally writing as i write as you go so to speak okay but i was very conscious of what i was writing so some stuff that i came up with I thought, no, it's not going to tie in or fit in with the rest of the collective. But yeah, I literally just wrote as I went along. Built to Please was the last one. I think I was thinking I wanted a song that had a groove like Van Halen, She's the Woman from the A Different Kind of Truth album. So I laid the drum beat down and then I, I just started playing along. Obviously, the riff is, the, the song itself is very, musically very van halen right but yeah built to please it it, lyrically just typical (laughs) typical you know celebrating the beauty of a woman that's simply built to please thank god thank god for you (laughs) yeah there's there's nothing more i can really say on the the lyrical matter of the the song but that's all you need to explain (laughs) but there is Interestingly, there's no guitar solo in that song. Really? I don't think I noted that. On the Japanese version of the album, you have to provide a bonus track. I didn't want to really record anything acoustic because it's just... I like acoustic stuff, but it's not something a band like ACDC would have done, for example. So I kind of I want to stick to being a hard rock act and, you know with passion that's that's what it is it's hard rock and it's not really a ballad band or or anything like that acoustic or what have you but anyway on the japanese version there is a guitar solo so you you just put this song uh as a bonus track and added a guitar solo to it is that pretty much it yeah okay (laughs) 
<laughs> I wanted to, I, I said to the guys, I said, well, if it's a bonus track, why don't I just write a new song? But they, they came back with a very fair comment and said that, well, it wouldn't really be fair on the rest of the market to not also hear that new song. So I thought, well, rather than do an acoustic version of of the songs, why not take a song? And I think I purposefully didn't record a guitar solo in Built to Please so that I could use it as a bonus track with a guitar solo. So it was more of a time-saving thing for me. But that said, I think, you know, it's it would be interesting to, you know, hear the song with a guitar solo for those Japanese people that have heard it. I think if, uh, based on what you just told me, I think what I would have done is maybe take the approach of doing a um, cover song or something. You know, that yeah. seems like an easy way out. Well, funny you should say that because <laughs> I've, I've just completed a covers EP, which will be released on... Um, I think it's it's just going to be released online. Can you tell us what's on it or no? Yeah. Okay. What'd you do? Yeah, yeah. I can. I've done so in order. I have done Van Halen Pound Cake. Yeah. Slaughter up all night. Okay. Rat loving you is a dirty job. Great song. And Winger, easy come, easy go. Nice. All songs I love. Yeah, and I, and I haven't really strayed too far away from. The originals because they are so good why would you try and go too far away from what they already are yeah now what moniker are you releasing this under as passion okay yeah yeah the name of the ep again tongue-in-cheek under the covers well there you go you put a lot of thought into that one didn't you well no i'm not i'm not going to take credit for that because <laughs> it was my it was my uh girlfriend that uh, jokingly came up with it and i thought you know what that's good enough (laughs) (laughs) it helps it helps to have creative people around me that can just throw things in there and they end up sticking it's like throwing pickles at a window Uh, one of them's gonna stick (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i just you know that the whole passion thing in my head if it could be executed properly it would very much borrow from the type of Will Ferrell kind of humor. Just It's that kind of just over-the-top silly. But that's almost borderline. I mean, Will Ferrell, that's almost borderline Steel Panther a little bit, don't you think? I mean, if you think about, like, uh, let's say, Talladega Nights and Ricky Bobby, right? Yeah, yeah. But what I mean is in terms of the titles for the songs okay i got gotcha. you yeah in, in terms of like a performance I, it wouldn't i mean steel panther i think they're they're more crude and crass yes whereas there's a way to be humorous without saying you know using so much bad language well, I mean, I think to a point that's sort of what Justin does for the darkness. I mean, they're very tongue in cheek. I mean, I saw them, I don't know, it's been two or three years now. I saw them a couple of years ago. It was the first time I saw them live. I thought they were amazing live. I thought yeah. they were really, really good. But what made them so entertaining was probably it just him cutting jokes on stage really just made me laugh yeah. because you could tell yeah. he doesn't take it that seriously. No, of course. 
So, uh, well, back to the record. We're almost done here. She Bites Hard, another ACDC feeling song. What's the story with this one? Yeah, again, I mean, it was just a quick song to write. The same lyrically, very ACDC, very Britney Fox, uh, maybe even a little bit Cinderella. Definitely an ACDC title. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to... I think at that point, I think She Bites Hard and Built to Please, they were the last ones I did. And I think I was, I think that at that point, I started to rush a little bit, not too much, but I thought, right, I just need two more songs and then I'm done with this and then I'll make it sound great. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the, the, I mean, again, it was just a, everything with me comes from the guitar first. Yeah. So I write all these songs come from guitar riffs and then what i do is i sort of structure things into sections so i'll come up with a specific part so for example the main riff in she bites hard i came up with that and then from there i uh decided on a a verse that was similar to the chord progression you know it's 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 all it's all malleable it's all it all relates sure. musically and when you're in that zone as i was saying before it kind of just it's a cliche saying it, but it, it it sometimes writes itself. Yeah. But yeah, definitely that song I wanted to be in your face, gnarly, ACDC. And I, I, what I like about the song is the pre-chorus is very Bon Scott, Bon Scott. And then the chorus is more like, a, you know, all those guys I just mentioned, Brian Johnson, the guys out of Britney Fox and Tom Keith, right. shrieky vocal. Cool. How about Big Game, last song on the record? This one closes it out. Yeah, um, this riff was actually in my head. So I put it down onto the guitar, recorded it. I came up with the chorus first. I guess it's a little bit like Foreigner Yeah. in some ways, the chorus. Again, it, there's a little bit of that ACDC in there again. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely some uh, shimmers of ACDC throughout this record. I can tell that mm-hmm. they're definitely an influential band. Massively, on yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think when I was a lot younger, I was like, oh, ACDC, it's just too simple. It's not for me. I just, It's not for me. But then I started really getting into, the first record I started really getting into by them was The Razor's Edge. Yeah. And the more I got into that, then obviously I delved into all the other albums that they did i went to see them a couple of times and i was just blown away with that what i love about acdc is there's no there's none of this sort of self-indulged nonsense in between songs they just play the songs they get on with it and then they're done they put on the show it's full of energy it's in your face there's none of this self-indulgent you know talking about yourself in between songs I think it's maybe my age, but I get really impatient when that kind of stuff happens. Now, when I'm watching bands, I just want to see an all-out rock show yeah. that, you know, knocks my face off. Right. And that's what I love about ACDC. They just, they just seem like regular, humble guys that just simply want to play great rock music and have fun on stage and entertain people. Yeah. Do you fancy yourself more of a uh, Bon Scott guy or a Brian Johnson guy? <sighs> I think... It's tough. <laughs> it's tough because I, I think Bon Scott is a really, really good singer. But I think he had, he had the advantage of, like, you can hear my voice. I speak quite low. Yeah. Whereas 
Bon Scott. He, he's quite up there, yeah. you know, when he's speaking. So to to sing in his range is kind of natural to him. It's not natural to me. I have to really sort of push to sing like that, and it can get quite it can get quite tiring. So I I definitely think I've got the sort of Brian Johnson shriekiness, that sort of nasally vocal down. But the Bon Scott thing, I I just don't think I can do that consistently. Yeah, I mean, when people ask me that question, because that's a popular question to ask people, to be honest, it just it doesn't necessarily come down to Bon or, or Brian. It comes down to the songs themselves. Yeah, exactly. I was introduced to ACDC on Highway to Hell. Great album. Yeah, Highway to Hell and Back in Black came to me at almost the exact same time for my age. And then I went, you know, and got all the back catalog and everything else. But, you know, if you'd have asked me at the time, I would have probably told you Back in Black can do no wrong. It's the best album there is. But it's incredible. Yeah. But going back, I mean, there's a lot of like, I love Power Ridge and Power Ridge. Yeah. I mean, just such Superb. a great album. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I love them both equally. I, I think uh, it's just hard for me to pull the trigger on which one I like better. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're both amazing eras, Yeah, both singers. I mean, they're incomparable, really. They're two different kinds of singer, but they're, they're both. Yeah. What they do do similar is they sing really powerfully and really well. Yeah. So let me ask you this. It's a little hard to answer it now because obviously the state that we're all in, which is super-duper lockdown mode, from this virus thing but at some point is there plans to put this band on a stage somewhere yeah of course um it's really bad timing not so much with the coronavirus but i'd assembled passion really and, and wrote all these songs because i was kind of frustrated at what i was seeing in terms of new bands at all the uk shows there was a lot of festival well i say a lot there was about two or three festivals in the uk where we have hard rock hell there was one called rockingham which was formerly Firefest, which was very niche it was it was like all the aor type band obscure aor bands would come and play yeah. Firefest and rockingham download yeah and then there was a there was a couple of others as well but two of them have kind of gone now yeah so the plan with it is I'm hoping to do a video for We Do What We Want. So the more content we have available, the more we can build a fan base and become prominent. The problem is, in the UK, this style of music isn't really that great, so it, do it doesn't warrant us to go out and tour in the old way. You would need to put on a show in one place and probably include other bands of the same vein, which seems to be the norm now here you get so for example later on in the year it's been rescheduled we've got heat vega a band called mason hill and a band called collateral mm -hmm. they're all playing on the same bill yep. whereas a few years back it would just be two of them right and it would still fill a venue now i'm, I'm noticing that bands are having to play multiple band bills to get people through the door so it's tough my plan in terms of live has always been we just want to play small to medium-sized festivals 
So, for example, Monsters of Rock Cruise will be ideal. Hard Rock Hell in the UK. I mean, anywhere, really, that's in the vein of rock or metal that would like a band like us to play, we'd go and play. But it's hard. As we were discussing before, it's really hard to... I guess it's just a case, a little bit of luck that you need and, and for people to actually really feel connected and, and like the music to ask you to come and play. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's exactly what we talked about before. Unless you're, unless you're able to play a festival or you bought up Monsters of Rock, which is a perfect example, you know, it's really tough to get new bands in front of people. I mean, I've, I told you before, that's basically why this podcast exists, which is to expose uh, not only bands that we grew up with, as is the name of the podcast, Growing Up Rock, but uh, also expose new bands that, you know, are in the vein of bands that we grew up with. Uh, because yeah. there's still a lot of bands, there's still tons of bands that came out in the 80s that people missed like they completely missed them and they're good bands you know so uh totally get that you mentioned monsters of rock you were on this year's monsters of rock cruise with us as more of a fan you weren't performing how did you like that experience because i'm assuming that was your first uh monsters of rock cruise yeah it was great it's a shame that i didn't go to the nine previous ones but obviously obviously from the uk it's quite an expensive jaunt oh it's expensive even here in the u.s trust me yeah i mean it's an absolutely incredible experience and you, you really are i think this year's was obviously a special lineup because it just pretty much had so many great bands and obviously you you discover new ones as well but obviously it's it's the right audience yeah without a doubt did you see anybody first of all did you see anybody new that you didn't know much about that you really liked new bands obviously i know who heat are and i know i knew they were the talk of the boat and rightly so because they've been around for quite a long time and they really are you know the young guys and they really really play and write some really top draw excellent music so i'm I'm happy for them that you know they got the opportunity to play there in terms of new bands that i kind of wasn't too familiar with but really became fond of i would say lizzie borden a really yeah um obviously because I, i love the the concept, yeah. the show, the performance, and obviously some of the songs are really, really good. Other than that, I know people were going on about hardcore superstar, but yeah. I'm not too familiar with their music. But in terms of new bands, in all honesty, other than Heat, I can't really, I can't really remember. Did you discover anybody that was new to you? Maybe they weren't a new band, but it was somebody- oh right. Yeah, I mean, you could you could tell me you never seen Winger. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah, well, obviously I've listened to Winger are a huge influence on me, but I'd never seen them before, so that was the first time. Cool. And I told Kit Winger, I said that performance. It was I didn't. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see the Friday night show where they were in the. Was it not Saturday night? Sorry, where they played in the um, theater. 
the studio, yeah, the theatre yeah. and recorded it. But I saw the pool stage show and I, I was really moved by it. The pool stage show was better because they had all kinds of technical problems on the uh, theater show. The theater, yeah. right. But yeah, the, I mean, the, the set they played was really cool. Red Beach, I think he's a really overlooked guitar player. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Re- really well executed. Awesome to see. Obviously, Firehouse, I'm a huge fan of those. To see them play. I, I saw the, the show in Studio B and the pool stage show. It's amazing how good he still sounds. CJ yeah. is a yeah. singer. Yeah, he does. Um, obviously, Ty Kettle. A lot, a lot of these bands I've seen before, but I'm, I'm, I'm touching on what I was really impressed by. Yeah. Ty Kettle, the theater show, that was... Danny Vaughn is a ridiculous singer. <laughs> yeah, absolute powerhouse. Yeah. He actually came and sat down with me and a friend of mine. One of the guys that I was with... Uh, he's a singer from a band called White Widow out of Australia. Okay. Him and Danny go back a long way. So I got to eat some pizza with Danny. Oh, that's <laughs> although, good. although he was very quiet because he was probably really, really tired from singing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he for me, he was probably one of the most soulful singers there. Yeah. I wasn't that impressed with Extreme. Uh, I find that they go back to pornography a little bit too much. And being a fan of, you know, having all their albums, I'd like to see them do an interesting set list rather than just playing pornography and some of the other obvious ones. So I wasn't, I wasn't particularly impressed by them. Yeah. Steelheart, great singer, technically. Yeah. There was, I mean, there was just so much going on. There was so much to choose from. It's nonstop, isn't it? Kicks. I mean, I'm a big Kicks fan as well. I should have said that because some of those songs on the album, obviously, were also inspired by Kicks. They're a well-oiled machine. Kicks is just a well-oiled machine. Great frontman. Great personality. Showmanship. Fantastic. Ah, I'd never seen Tesla before. Yeah. And I caught them in... I literally walked in as they ended on Heaven's Trail. And then they did a couple of other, they, they were like playing love, mostly love songs, but it was still really impressive. You know, like the sound was great. Yeah. I couldn't get into the first night that they played. It was, uh, they, they weren't letting anybody in because it was packed out. So I ended up seeing them the second uh, performance in the theater and I thought they were doing yeah, something. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. yeah. Other than that, I, I saw Heavy Petting. I saw Black and Blue. They yeah. were cool. Yeah. Did you see the <laughs> Did you see the first Lynch Mob show? Yeah, at two o'clock in the morning, I saw it. <laughs> oh God, yeah, I, I was interesting. I was a little disappointed. Yeah, I think you weren't the only one. They were better on the pool stage. I did catch yeah, a couple of them. It was much better than the Friday night thing. Okay, so let's close this out because you've been way more gracious with your time than I expected you to be, but I'm glad we got through this. What's the best place to find out about all things passion or Daniel? Is it Russell? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you you got it first time. A lot of Americans, they'll say it, which I also like because it makes it sound a little bit more spicy. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of them will pronounce it as Russell. But yeah, you, you're correct. It's Ross All. Okay. In terms of finding more about Passion, 
I tend to use Instagram more than I do Facebook. And as you can probably appreciate, doing all the music stuff, trying to, you know, maintain your talent on your instruments to try and manage it and a full-time job, trying to manage everything with social media. I know it's a huge part of being in a band now, but I tend to prefer using Instagram and the address for both Facebook and Instagram pages is Passion Band UK, all lowercase letters. Yeah, we'll put all that in the show notes too, so people that are driving their cars don't have to wreck. It'll be in the show notes. They can go to the show notes and find stuff. Yeah, and in the meantime, I'm I'm just working on writing songs for album two. Fair enough. Well, that's been awesome talking to you. The way that we uh, close things out is I would like you to pick a song that influenced you growing up. It can be anything you want, and that'll play us out. It has to be uh, David Lee Roth, Yankee Rose. David Lee Roth, Yankee Rose. All right. Yeah. Daniel, I appreciate you spending time with us. Yeah, no problem. It's been a pleasure, absolute pleasure. Thanks for taking the time to uh, ask me questions about passion, the music, and myself. And, you know, I hope the listeners find it interesting, enjoyable, and, and keep looking out for keep looking out for us, keep looking out for passion, and there's there's lots more music to come. Yeah, listeners to this show will definitely dig the record, and that's what we're going to do is get that across. So uh, thanks again. Grown Up Rock listeners, we will see you next week. See ya. Right on. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Lay us out, boys.
I got to ask, what is your side of why are you doing this? Why the two different things? Well, when it comes to the live thing, uh-huh. that's where these characters will appear. But the frustrating thing is we have, obviously, with this coronavirus thing, there's no real opportunity at present to be getting out there. Right. Plus, because the music sounds quite bombastic and very very sort of over-the-top rock music, obviously inspired by all the 80s rock music. I don't just want to go and play a show somewhere local to me and let's say it's in a small club because it's it's really going to be hard to get these characters across. I think to really deliver this concept of my idea of passion is it needs to be in a... Obviously not a theatre because we're not that big. We're not we're not big enough for that. But I would like to build up to that through using the internet, keep creating content. But anyway, I'm going off on a tangent here. The idea is basically it's kind of a parody, but not in the sense of Steel Panther. It's not obviously it's quite serious as well, but at the same time it's tongue in cheek. We thought it would be interesting, myself and the other guy in the band, we thought it would just be sorry more interesting and more fun to give ourselves these ludicrous pseudonyms that sort of kind of fit with the genre that we're inspired by. But if you can imagine the characters, they're somewhere, um, <laughs> somewhere between Macho Man Randy Savage and David Lee Roth, mixed with a bit of maybe a bit of Kurt Russell. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.